What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. This is just a reminder that you can go over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain every Wednesday evening at around 8 o'clock, and you can listen to us live, and you can actually also donate to us if you'd like. It does help support the channel, keep things running. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 116 of Armchair Producers. I am one of your hosts, the chilly George Terran, alongside the man, the myth, the talent, Mr. Travis Croft, how are you, sir? I am fine and dandy on a uh, pretty seriously wintry Melbourne evening. It's been mm-hmm. pretty wet and cold here in the Burbs. I imagine it's quite similar up in the hills. It is shitty. Even the, the furry star of the show, who is currently in his trailer, because um, he was not happy when I took him out for his walk this morning because it was cold, it was wet, and it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and he's been grumpy. Ever since you haven't considered doing something about the weather, I mean, you know, he's look. I, I, I am, I'm a pretty good producer, but there's only so so far my abilities go, and you know, I can make bad shit happen to me, but I can't. I haven't it's upgraded a, to the globals package yet. It's a gift, um, <laughs> indeed. Well, I mean, uh, this is an exciting announcement. I think it's safe to announce that next week we have some genuine talent on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An actual one of Australia's leading musicians, mm-hmm. at least Melbourne's. Uh, you know, one of one of country Victoria, one of Donald's leading musicians, the country town of Donald. I think I think it's fair to say he's one of the leading <laughs> musicians in the town of Donald. Mm-hmm. And uh, yep. uh, you got a bit of a clue in my, my fanboy attire this week mm-hmm. about who it's going to be. <laughs> He was, he was not paid for that T-shirt. He paid for that T-shirt. He's huge in South Korea in more ways than one. Uh, <laughs> um, he's going to kick my ass for saying that. Um, he really is. Um, is, is, is. He will be on the show next week. And if you want to know the rest of the story, you're just going to have to tune in next week because yeah, we are going absolutely. to be watching. I think we can reveal. We can reveal. This is in addition to yep. the, chain, the chain movie. We will be... Um, we will be watching uh, Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me, which mm-hmm. is he, he, we gave as a special guest. We gave him a choice mm-hmm. of what he would like to watch with us and discuss. Bloody one and percenters, was, and that was what he decided. Um, we, uh, I, I don't know if I've actually ever seen that show, that movie. I know I've seen the TV show. You mm. reviewed it a few weeks ago, maybe a month yeah. ago. Um, oh, I think it was I, more than a month at this point now. Time is an illusion. It, it does is slip by. Um, Wonder Vision was so many months ago now. Um, I know. Um, and now we've got Loki who came out tonight. Yeah. Um, seems so far away once upon a time. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen the actual Firewalk with movie, which is a prequel to a TV yeah. show. Yeah. Um, so this will be the first, I believe, of um, a couple of special guest spots we'll be having with our special super talented mm-hmm. uh, huge uh, guest. Um, and uh, that's we, we've had guests before, but it's been an awfully long time mm-hmm. it has been a very long time we you know we we didn't want to spoil everyone too much you know there's only there's only so much that fans can really take before they kind of think oh they're jumping the shark and we don't want to do that we don't want to nuke the fridge we don't want to do anything like that so we're, um, we're trying to be conscientious of our, our audience their needs and requirements and yeah you want to you want to you preserve an air of exclusivity for these sorts of things you know we're not you know, it's a Jimmy Kimmel show. It's like a town bike. Everyone's had a ride. Exactly. Um, exactly. This show, this show, pretty exclusive. We've had, I think, three guests on in our lifetime. One was um, my ex-wife. Uh, one was um, one was my brother, and I believe the other one was Eric Forrest. 
Yes. <laughs> and that, that might have even been when we were still the GNT podcast. Um, when, before we rebranded so. and became I, that much more professional. I, I think so. Yeah, I think that is true. So, I mean, joining that illustrious company, and I feel, you know, mm -hmm. um, I feel as, as an app a description, that just, uh, tune in next week, download the show next week if that's your way of doing things. Yeah. And you can you can enjoy a, a third voice and a, I think a, a podcast host in his own right. And if anybody mm -hmm. is listening to this uh, this week and gets in before the 16th, which is when it will be going live in Melbourne. Right. Yep. Do feel free to tweet at us uh, and with the hashtag release the Smith cut. Yes. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> release the Smith cut. Um, yep. Anyway. It'll, it'll get through to the right people. Uh, that is next week's entertainment. Um, it is. It is. But for now, let's have a little bit of a rundown of what we're actually going to be um, talking about this week. So our chain movie uh, following on from last week. Uh, what, what was it we watched last week? Uh, oh, yeah, Hannibal. Um, we followed through with Sid and Nancy, care of Gary Oldman. Um, I've already picked um, my movie for next week, but um, Travis has spent some time going in the Wayback Machine. He, um, he will be talking a little bit about the original Mad Max, not the one that everyone... Um, fanboys and girls over now of fury road the original the progenitor of the mad max universe um he also went back and feel like you uh, got a bit of a taste for the 70s and 80s like a uh, youth comedy adult themey kind of thing going to 16 candles sticking with the john hughes theme mm-hmm mm-hmm I myself took on a slightly new affair, for example, uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, the latest animated movie from Disney. It was available without the premium access payment on Disney+. Plus. Um, I checked out the new Netflix show Sweet Tooth, uh, produced by Robert Downey Jr. and his wife, Susan Downey, um, as well as checking out... Um, a movie that kind of went a little bit under the radar, Kristen Stewart's Vincent Cassell starring movie, Underwater, which has got a bit of a Cthulhu um, vibe to it. Heard of it. Um, so that is what we've got. And um, do we have any sponsors this week, Travis? Ah, uh, we do. We, uh, we uh, mm -hmm. Our sponsor is all lined up and we are being brought to you by Channel 10 from May 10th, 1992. Look at that. That is an important important dates. So important, important. Some important messages in there for the 1992 mm -hmm. Victorian state election. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so listen to the sponsors and let them know that we sent you that way. Well, let's get straight on into the show, shall we? We'll go straight into chain movie of Sid and Nancy. Yeah, so this one I chose because I stick, try to stick two films I've never mm. seen in this. Um, and this has a bit of a reputation um, yeah. of being... Uh, a bit of a cult classic. Uh, it is, of course, a story. I mean, the synopsis here is mm. almost on a level with um, Minari the other week. Um, as <laughs> one of the worst, one of the worst synopses synopses I've ever read. The mm -hmm. relationship between Sid Vicious, basis for British punk group Sex Pistols, and his girlfriend Nancy Spongeon is portrayed. What a very odd sentence that is. Yeah, um, and, and the the movie that it shows. That's that's incredibly boiled down to essentially nothing. <laughs> Alexander, Alexander Lum on IMDb from UTAS, um, mm. University of Tasmania, where if you don't have two heads, the second one's free. 
Um, <laughs> um, morbid biographical story of Sid Vicious, bassist with British punk group The Sex Pistols and his girlfriend Nancy Spungen. When The Sex Pistols break up after their fateful US tour, Vicious attempts a solo career whilst in the grip of a heroin addiction. One morning, Nancy is found stabbed to death and Sid is arrested for her murder. Mm. Um, that's a little bit more... I guess all encompassing, but that's essentially it's a story of Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen, who are kind of um, punk rocks, Romeo and Juliet, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, I guess so. Um, very, very much the poster children for the dysfunctional relationship, I think, for many people. The uh, Joker and Harley before Joker and Harley were Joker and Harley, you know. The, yeah. The, the uh the Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain of the late seventies, mm-hmm. if that, if you will. Interesting Courtney Courtney Love is in this film. Mm. Um so Gary Oldman portrays uh Sid Vicious. Um we have Chloe Webb who plays Nancy Sponge. This is a film debut. You're probably mm-hmm. gonna go who the fuck is Chloe Webb, and that's a fair question. Mm-hmm. The only thing I could look at her and go, I know I've seen her in was she was in Twins, the uh Schwarzenegger DeVito film. Um Oh, fuck, uh, she was. Yeah. Um, we had uh, Xander Berkeley in here as their drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I said, Courtney Love plays uh, the best friend of or yeah. friend of Nancy. The rest of it's a pretty uh, – you might know some of these people. I suspect they're probably better known in the UK than, than they are to me. There um, were a couple of faces that were familiar, um, but largely kind of a, an unknown – this this movie is very much over time. There was there was a period in the mid eighties to late to early nineties where a lot of British movies that were made were ridiculously gritty, and it was a lot of very low budget production for very very dramatic stuff. And this movie is it plays the drama to eleven. Fuck me, is it? It's tough to watch overall. Yeah, it's written and directed by Alex Cox. Um, mm. Again, not exactly a household name. He did get uh, he one of his better known works as a director was for film Repo Man, which mm. I haven't actually seen, but I know of it. Mm, um, same. It's kind of I think a pretty well known again cult film. Other than that, he hasn't done anything of particular note. Um, mm. He, I believe, was a member or a. He might go a punk himself. He was someone who was a part of the late seventies like punk scene, and and hence why he's great interest in making a film about two people who who you know maybe not even ten years after this shit happened. We um mm. we have the biopic. Um, yeah, and, and you sort of said this is a very gritty, uh, grimy sort of film. Um, I got serious train spotting vibes watching this. Um. Yeah, it's it's almost like a cross between train spotting and the the London-based elements of Widnail and I. There is like as they're walking through the streets, there's kids just beating the shit out of cars, there's burning trash cans and sirens constantly going off in the background. Britain is not in a happy point during this phase. This was um, this was I think this would have been kind of height of Thatcher-esque England. No, it's and- pre-Thatcher. Was it really? Oh yeah, was elected yeah, in seventy nine. Yeah. So this would have been the, uh, the yeah. pre. This is what led to fracture. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so there's there's definitely that kind of element of the social discourse and d- despondency that really plays into it. And it, I think, purposefully trying to to heighten a lot of that to 
to kind of explain how punk became a thing and how the lives of Sid and Nancy were kind of justified in their own minds of, sort of like beating their own path and that sort of stuff. It's it's um, a it's a weird film. It's an odd one, and interestingly, mm. it's really quite highly rated by a lot of people I respect. Mm. Roger Ebert felt it was one of his best. I think his fourth best film of 1986 um mm -hmm. and he's probably my favorite film critic mm -hmm. um you, you can you can find the uh the fair episode on the best films of 86 on youtube um <laughs> and i um am a bit of a fan of the mm -hmm. sex pistols i guess I'm, I'm a passing fan i mean because i don't own any of their i don't own records anymore but um yeah i did but like i do like own cds and dvds not many <laughs> um most of them are gone. Um, uh, but yeah, so I, I like some of their music and I know I've listened to it and I know a little bit about them. I've read a little bit about them. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's important to recognize as a music fan their importance in mm. the history of rock and roll. Um, that's up for debate for someone else. I'm sure would tell me I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's just worth noting here that the surviving band members, particularly John Lydon, Johnny Rotten, mm. uh, when asked about what this film got right, he said, Perhaps that his name was Sid. Yeah, uh, I think that's about it. it. Was he? So he is not a fan of this production, and he feels like it was quite fictionalized and sensationalized, mm. and bears a little resemblance to the reality of what actually happened. Mm. Um, and and I'm okay with that, really. I mean, um, I think though that uh, I, from what I understand about um, Sid Vicious, that that um, Gary Oldman's performance is quite good. Um, uh, Gary Oldman himself is not a fan apparently of his performance and doesn't like it and has spoken mm. derisively about the film. He's not a fan of the script. He wasn't a fan of the uh, music and he did it for the money, um, <laughs> which is fine because he did a good job. It's still a good film. He did got well. him a lot of attention that has spawned one hell of a career. Um, and I initially throughout the film found Chloe Webb's performance as Nancy almost unendurably awful i mean not, yeah. not that, like she was hard to listen to she was so nasal and screechy mm. um and annoying to the point of almost being um parody-esque yeah but, um what i did after i finished this film was i went and um i went and watched some youtube clips of the two of them doing yeah movies. same and i was actually going to give chloe Webb a bit of a pass here and go yes you were very nasal and annoying and screechy but that, that was in character. That yeah. was her in character. Like she did sound like that. Yeah, um, I agree. So, um, you know, in the end, strangely good performance in the sense that you actually were accurately annoying. <laughs> yeah, as, yeah. As Nancy. It's always hard when someone is playing a character that is that abrasive, that just vile in every sense of it she never looked healthy or fresh-faced or anything like that so it was always visually hard to look at her the voice that she had it was always just like nails on chalkboard for me listening to her the, the way that she would just flop so quickly from this just irrational disaster of a person to begging and screaming and crying and then the next scene she's like trying to trying to get a gig and things and she's just trying her best to be charming and mm -hmm. it it's it's a really fucking hard character to to watch and this movie 
holds nothing back and it doesn't really show you anyone like i've talked about this in the past with other movies there's no sympathetic character in this it is cold hard um telling a story of a destructive relationship it really is it's um mm. and i think um uh, it, a lot of that can be put down to the fact that um i'm not alex cox was certainly not a fan of sid Mm. Um, I don't know how what I don't know his wider thoughts about sex pistols. There are a lot of people who um um a lot of people who did look down on the sex pistols as being the spice girls of punk rock. Mm. Um, you know, that they were put together by Malcolm McLaren rather than, you know, the organic yeah. forming of a group of people. Mm. Interestingly, the music in this film, the music, the soundtrack, was done by Joe Strummer. Um mm. he of The Clash. So mm. Um, that's an interesting combination. Yeah. Um, not that they were rivals or anything, they were both certainly peers. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, certainly not looked upon as fondly as the Clash because of that. Mm. Their the genesis in you know mm. being put together by by someone rather reviled in the way mm. of Malcolm McLaren. Um, but uh, I, I think I've read somewhere that Alex Cox felt that um, that uh, he had a. Sold out. Sid had Alex's attitude towards this subject was indeed unapologetically negative. Writing that mm. Sid had sold out, contributed nothing of value, and died an idiot. Mm. <laughs> that definitely comes through. There are multiple scenes where the producer, um, I think it's played by David Heyman, Malcolm. He just talks about how um, Sid is. I can't remember the exact words, but it's something along the lines of a delicious disaster, a superstar, mm. and it's like, yeah. This, this is a fabricated band that he is just happy to to throw them. Like, they're all, it's all played very obviously that they know Sid is on this. Can't, the thing is, he couldn't play. He, yeah. I don't think there's some people who say he never learned to play bass. Mm. Um, I mean, that's not to say that the Sox Pistols initially were, but they weren't exactly Eric Clapton, you know, they weren't Van mm. Halen, right? Yeah. Um, they were, that was part of their appeal, was they were raw and gritty and, you know, um, untrained unkempt yeah. you know um uh unpolished um that, that was what the the kind of the message that they were being pushed and selling is like we are anti-establishment we aren't going to be that that fine-tuned auto-tuned kind of as opposed thing to that was coming um, through the story is that um malcolm mclaren found johnny right when he was came into um vivian westwood's um bondage sex shop when he had wore a t-shirt that said i hate pink floyd <laughs> um well the anti pink floyd um yeah uh and i know we have some some listeners regular listeners who um who get been in touch with me who who are huge pink floyd fans you know who you are um <laughs> so you know don't get too upset about the fact that johnny hated pink floyd um but yeah that was kind of a sound of a time if you think about you know that early sort of polished yeah overly produced kind of one might say pompous or pretentious sound so but yeah um Despite that, I mean, they could to some degree. I think um, Glenn Matlock, I think, was it Glenn Matlock who, mm -hmm. who, who said to replace um, actually could play, sort of. Um, uh, Sid simply couldn't um, yeah. play at all. <laughs> um, and I think it's portrayed in the film as they see, he's just, he was just, he, he, yeah, he was the man who exemplified everything about the music, everything about punk rock except the music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's a great line at the end where someone sees him, he's completely trashed in Paris or something. Some because mm. you're going to make somebody a lot of money, yeah. Um, so he's still he has some sympathetic angles in the sense that he was viewed as a product mm. to, yeah. to be sold by 
maybe people who are more sophisticated than him. Mm, absolutely. Um, um, I think that this is like uh, this. This is the closest I think we're going to really get, at least for for the time being, of the biography movie equivalent to something like Bohemian Rhapsody, which was one of the last big musical icon band biographies to come out. And that was incredibly shallow um, and incredibly protective of the image and the look of the band Queen. It was incredibly vanilla. This is almost the antithesis of that in that where there were elements of the Bohemian Rhapsody movie going into a bit of the destructive relationship between Freddie Mercury and, and this uh, this other guy, his name I can't remember. Um, that was very much, you kept on getting those little cutaway shots and those little moments with the rest of the band, Brian May and all of them just kind of looking concerned and looking worried about it. Whereas you didn't get any of that. There was no camaraderie within the band. It was all well, fuck you too attitude. And it was a very cynical, very cynical telling of, I guess, a very cynical time. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I think I'd be, um, I think you'd be a little bit um, uh, ripped off if you went to see a Sex Pistols movie <laughs> and got something as um, safe and vanilla and, um, you know, dull true. as um, as as, as um, Bohemian Rhapsody. And in the story of Arab, we talked about it when we reviewed it, was that mm. um, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen had been in line to play Freddie Mercury mm. in his own Queen Biopic for some time, but apparently that was a lot more true to life. Mm. Um, and that that mixed by the bit, band. A little bit rawer than, than mm. what and the band just felt that was not good for business, which... Um, Yep. Yeah, yeah. In fairness, I probably wouldn't put that past Six Pistols for what they're worth. Um, yeah, nothing. McLaren's <laughs> dead, but the other three of them are still alive. So, mm. um, I, I wouldn't be, you know, I'd be, it'd be a little bit edgier. But anyway, mm. uh, you know, I don't see anyone lining up at uh, Johnny Rotten's house to be yeah. either film rights to the uh, to the band. Um, they're not quite as fondly remembered as Queen. They don't have that back catalogue either. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, now, uh, did, like did you actually it. like this movie? No, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, found it, I mean, like a lot of people, it's, it's got a it's got a seven on IMDb. It's got mm. a seventy six on Metascore. I didn't like it very much. I found it hard going. I mm. like it's it was nihil, almost nihilistically depressing. Like it was constantly piling on, and it was a constant pile on of human misery. Yeah, um, almost like um, Requiem for a Dream. Um, but, yeah, but like less artsy. Yeah, um, um, grittier than mm. the Requiem for a Dream, if that's possible. Um, <laughs> so it, um, in in a way, you, you almost did feel sorry for Sid in the end. Like he had a horrible, horrible, horrible existence in the end of his life. Mm. Um, and it's probably worth noting here: the story is that he he did he did uh, die of drug overdose mm. some month, six months or something after Nancy died. He was never convicted of her murder i don't know if it was actually charged i don't think they actually really ever mm. quite figured out what happened to her uh she he was she was found dead in his fair apartment but he was, drugged, was, he was yeah he was drugged up and a lot of people had access to it yeah. um so fairness to sid's memory he was never convicted of that murder uh, mm -hmm. did he commit it we'll never know um tragically the, the heroin that killed him was given to him as a birthday present by his mother. Oh. 
this dude had a bad start. His mum was a junkie. Yeah. Um, yeah. He that he had a bad start in life, and it, it didn't get any better for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, whereas, you know, I always heard. I remember back in the day, you'd say train spotting was a film you endured rather than enjoyed. Mm. Um, I think this is in the same category, but I yeah. think even the level of endurance required for this film mm-hmm. would be significantly more than I would say for yeah. a film like Train Spotting, which was somewhat entertaining. He said, uh, Yeah, there was that constant element of comedy to it and absurdity, whereas this, it did not play anything for laughs. And, and it was an element of hope. Hope at the end of train spotting, right? You know, yeah, yeah. Renton turned his life around to some degree. And if you ignore the sequel, um, you know, <laughs> probably for the best, mm. um, you know, you can talk away from that going, well, you know, there's, there's a light at you know, the tunnel, there is no light at the end of this funnel. Um, the light yeah. at the end of a tunnel in this film is the cinematography, um, which is done by Roger Deakins, the great Roger Deakins. Mm-hmm. Dual Academy Award winner. Um, mm-hmm. I believe he won for 1917, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Um, and another one, yeah, another one was quite recent. He also did Skyfall. So mm-hmm. he won for Blade Runner 2049, a film mm-hmm. that you and I absolutely didn't love and just, you know, mm-hmm. sort of just gaped. <laughs> uh, oh, how good is this film? Look. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we didn't do that at all. Um, no, no, film, Skyfall. Sicario, The Reader, No Country for Old Men, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Fargo, The Shawshank Redemption. So mm-hmm. a pretty piss poor resume, frankly. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it, he's he's very he's cruising. Pretty pretty know? forgettable sort of set of films <laughs> that have been involved in there. Um, and this film looks, uh, in parts, looks completely undeservedly gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's mm-hmm. some of his two scenes that really stood out to me while I was watching it going, who the fuck shot this thing? Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, this does not seem like the work of Alex Cox. Um, who, in fairness to him, seems like a pretty low rent kind of director. Yeah. Um, and there's a scene where after the, the famous boat ride, which is where they um, they get arrested or the, the cruise gets pulled over by when they were playing God Save the Queen on the, oh, on yeah. the river. And the, the cops are all raiding the boat. Uh, and it's, they're just sort of surrounded by cops. I think it's slow motion, if I'm not mistaken. And in the, at, through the middle of this lot of, you know, um, uh, what, what do you call it? Uh, it was like collective now for a group of police, a corruption. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a, a corruption of police, um, you know, at, through the middle of them just comes out. We see Sid and Nancy walking towards the camera through this throng of, of people and police and fuss and people yelling and shouting and and yep. there's this kind of serenity to the two mm-hmm. of them walking through and i've heard it described as if they were walking through almost in their own bubble surrounded mm. by this bubble of, of peace you know almost like contentment just between two of them which mm-hmm. is you know being bumping up against the world around them of these crazy mm-hmm. police i'm like that was a gorgeous shot um yeah. and there's another shot which you can actually see on imdb if you look at imdb it's on the poster um, oh yeah, with the trash slowly falling they're, they're down. Basically, in an alleyway yeah. in New York, and they're they're kissing against a dumpster, and it's so it's it's raining garbage around mm-hmm. them, and you're like, what a gorgeous shot, an undeservedly gorgeous shot in mm-hmm. in, in a film like this. It has no place <laughs> in this film. Yeah. Um, but it's, and then it it makes it even more kind of jarring when you see those two shots in particular versus the sequence of. Um, Sid singing um, solo in, uh, for the uh, it's a music video that he and he shoots up the audience and stuff. It's just so ham fisted and just it 
it just seems like a completely different production team working on that versus these ones. It's like, this is, what, what is going on here? That's almost <laughs> certainly true what happened. That's almost certainly what happened. They, they had mm. uh, they had a second unit shooting stuff in, mm. I think, in New York. Scenes were shot separately mm. um, to the London scenes. So it, it's entirely possible yeah. um, that, that they did. That may well have actually been um, shot by somebody else. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, uh, if you're, look, I mean, if you're a fan of Sex Pistols, mm-hmm. it's a curiosity. Yeah. Um, the guy who plays Johnny Rotten is almost convincing in parts. Mm-hmm. Andrew Schofield, apparently mm-hmm. John, John Rotten did not like him because he's a, when you taught me this word, he's a scouser. <laughs> yeah. Um, Never trust um, a scouser. <laughs> um and this you know, I you had to tell me about this concept before I went to Liverpool. Um, <laughs> um Yeah, sorry, I, just to go back on that point. So apparently they're mm. filming in Los Angeles, New York, performed by a largely different crew. So depending on where that scene was shot, it could have been shot by someone different. But yeah. um if you if you're a Sex Pistols fan, it's um it, it it's a curiosity, maybe worth mm. checking out. If you're curious and you've never seen it before, if you are a Sex Pistols fan and you well, you want something a little bit more meaty. Um, I you would probably rest this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would go straight. I would rather, I would spend my time first going to the Filth and the Fury, mm. um, which is a, a documentary, but a, a typically Sex Pistols documentary from 2000. Mm-hmm. It is a film about the career of a notorious punk band. It's directed by Julian Temple, um, mm. who is mildly well known around the place. He directed Earth Girls Are Easy. Okay. <laughs> um, Cinematography at its um, highest. There. <laughs> yes, um, but it has mm, the, the surviving members and Malcolm McLaren before he died mm. talking about the the band and Sid mm. and stuff like. That. And it's actually one of the best scenes in the film is where John talks about what happened to Sid. Mm. Um, so, I if you're a fan of Six Pistols and you'd like to see something about them. Uh, you know, on TV, let's <laughs> say at the movies. <laughs> um, no, um, you'd like to watch something, a, a, a film about mm. that. I would go for self in this theory before I would go with Sid and Nancy. It, you can see the artistry in here. Like I said, you can see Roger Deakins works notable. It's yep. uh, Gary Oldman's very good. Chloe Webb, despite being excruciating to watch, is actually doing her job. Uh, really doing justice. Yeah. Um, uh, um, and a very young Xander Berkeley. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think? Would you recommend it to someone? As a curiosity, yes. For anyone who is a Sex Pistols fan, I don't think they would like it. I don't like. I don't think they would like the way the band is portrayed, the way the music is portrayed, the way that their um, band members are portrayed. Um, if you are a fan of Gary Oldman, I think it's a solid performance from him but i would also say it's one of his most boring i kind of felt like the the kind of the journey that he had and the way that the story of sid vicious's life is told in sid and nancy there's there's an immaturity to it all that kind of feels like student production and it's there's there's a lot of focus on the extreme moments and nothing in between there's no there's no sweet for the salt um everything is either they're kind of riding each other really fucking hard physically or verbally 
and it's just kind of batting between those two or they are in a kind of drug and alcohol fueled coma essentially and it's like wow we're not getting any kind of build up here it's one extreme to another there's and it, because of that it feels very disjointed and it's hard to kind of just embrace like the last 35 40 minutes of the movie there is it feels like there's an active effort to try and get people onto johnny uh, onto sid's side and get him as a slightly more compassionate person like he's the one who brings up getting off the drugs and things like that but it's like a throwaway line here or there and then it's um just kind of forgotten about again and it's like okay you you don't really know kind of who you're supposed to be kind of rooting for because nancy is not played for sympathy at all um sid is rarely played for sympathy up until the end um half hour like i just said and then is it sympathy or is it pity yeah and it's it's a very fine line and it's like okay is it comes across as just kind of pathetic and because of that disjointed kind of way that they are pushing the character gary oldman's performance whilst i did the same as you i went back and i kind of looked at some interviews and things like that i found on youtube it's like okay the both performances of sid and nancy are actually quite accurate and there's a lot of there's a lot of re um reference that's gone into these performances but it doesn't serve when the when the whole when the story around them is not supporting them in the way that really deserves mm, it, it needed um to be I mean, I mean i guess it depends what the director wanted to do i mean if you wanted yeah. to make an anti-drug anti film it says being a drug drug addicted rock star uh, and you know yeah. what well, isn't that glamorous um yeah. then he's done a fine job yeah um True. you know but uh, without romant it's not romanticized in the slightest no, um, not. so you know that's why i think it reminded me of um, requiem for a dream which is mm. a relentlessly nihilistic um depiction <laughs> of addiction yeah. um it's it's a horrible life he has for himself and um yeah. just can't pull himself out of it so it's if you're in a bad mood give this one a miss and, and yeah. maybe maybe watch the Disney film you're going to talk about later yeah <laughs> um it, anyway i'm glad to have seen it i'm glad to have hmm. it off my list it is a it, it's a, a cinematic curiosity i think it's, it's yeah. interesting to see where people come from you know um to see this film it's kind of a famous cult film now and mm. um yeah I, I, I guess, it, i'm glad to have seen it i guess part of it as well this movie came out what 80 uh, 86 it was that kind of deconstruction of a biography thing it was not a particularly popular genre um up until like the the 90s or anything when when you started getting a lot more of the um the higher profile kind of biography movies about presidents and things like that where they do start going into a little bit of the darker side of things so this was a bit of an outlier as a as a genre piece so it was I think it's, it's even today in a way like we, we don't yeah. you sort of noted like um i don't see a chris cornell biopic coming anytime sooner you know um mm. um we you, you if you're gonna tell a story about a tragic rock star you mm. tell a story about a tragic rock star with a tragic death like mm. like freddie yeah you couldn't possibly have foreseen you know, aids right like um yeah. 
you know, there really hasn't there been some people have had a go at a mm. Kurt Cobain film without actually using his name because, you know, I don't never allow no to. No one's given them the rights. <laughs> um, you know, so, mm. but I mean, anybody really want to see that? Does anyone want to see a Kurt Cobain movie? Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine that it something like that is probably the same problem that we've come up with with Sid and Nancy is do you, if you're a fan of Nirvana, do you want to see a movie that focuses on the band's kill, eventual destruction? Him killing himself in the yeah. in the greenhouse? I mean, no. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I it's not going to sell tickets. I mean, I said, I think it's been done. It was that Last Days movie. Was it Gus Van Sant? Um, yeah, that's um, right. But I think it was the Kurt movie, you know, it was the, the, um, the, the, the dollar store version where we mm. like, you know, it's the, it's the Kurt film. It's not really about Kurt. Yeah, just looks like him. <laughs> um, yeah, it. Um, yeah, we go last days. It starred um, uh, Michael Pitt. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's. I, 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 you're right. But people, and you know, I mean, maybe Nirvana could support it because they had the back catalog, right? I mean, you know, you go along yeah. and listen to "Smells Like Teen Spirit" and yeah. the time. But I mean, yeah, I don't, it's just not a good story. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure if Nancy's a great story. I mean, I've tried to frame it in this Romeo and Juliet esque, you know, um, framing device of him being interviewed by the police. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's um, yeah. So it, it, was, hard, it was it was it was, it was, it was very much a punk movie. Is anti-establishment from the get-go. So I guess it makes sense that it's kind of divisive. Some people really hold it in high regard. Other people just watch it and just go, "I don't." get this this is this is a mess this is this is volatile for no reason it also had some unfortunate reminders for me of um spiral tap um just you have know, the scene where yeah. we're at the cafe and yeah. sid and nancy and nancy's doing all the talking for sid and you know it kind of reminded me of some of those scenes where um davis and hubbard's girlfriend is doing the this, the Stonehenge drawings and, you know, yeah. um, the, the, the face mate, you know, like, um, it, it, not quite because, you know, it's about metal and not punk rock, but I'm like, it's not that far away. Yeah, it's, it's I, I guess it's, uh, it's, it's going to be part, part and parcel of it. You know, Spinal Tap is one of the best parody movies of all time. So it's hard to not look back on the source material that it is lampooning and go, <laughs> no, I'm serious. We've got to, this is serious. It's a serious, a serious movie. <laughs> yeah. Very, very um, serious. Right. <laughs> anyway, have you got anything else you'd like to say before we find out what your uh, best no. kept secret? But we, no. I think we all know what you've chosen because I'm pretty sure I know what you've chosen because <laughs> it would have been absolutely what I would have chosen if I had the chance. And that is, of course, Chloe Webb's most recent acting uh, credit, Wish Upon a Unicorn. No. No. Oh. No, it is not. It is not. We are following Andrew Schofield, Johnny Rotten himself. We are going to Kenneth Branagh directed, adapted, and starring Hamlet. And this is one I have not seen before, but this has got one or two possible avenues for you for next week. My main problem with this choice is it's four hours. <laughs> hey, we haven't done a four-hour movie since uh, Zack Snyder cut, so yeah. <laughs> it's been a month and a half. But, you know, listen to this cast. Kenneth Branagh, Julie Christie, Derek Jacoby, Kate Winslet, uh, Richard Attenborough, Brian Blessed, Richard Briers, 
Billy Crystal, Judy Dench, Gerard Depardieu, Ken Dodd. Um, there's even um, Charlton Heston, Rosemary Harris. If you want to go to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, there's your link. Um, I think it's actually even got... Didn't Robin Williams have a cameo? Robin Williams, yeah. Um, and, and you're forgetting Sir John Gielgud in here. Charlton yeah. Heston. This uh, is a Jack legitimate Clement. all-star cast. Every single one of them. You look through the cast list and you go, oh, fuck. Kate <laughs> Timothy Winslet. Rufus Sewell. It's, yep, there he is. Um, every Everyone is in this movie. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a long white show. Yeah, um, <laughs> I struggle with. I guess I guess struggle with Shakespearean English, mm. uh, and and other way I'm going to be thinking of that. But the, the scene from Last Action Hero that we reference all the time. Who said I was fair? <laughs> <laughs> to no. be or not to be, not, not to be. To be. <laughs> but this is going to be on. Uh, it's available to rent and buy on Apple TV and Amazon. Mm -hmm. So there we go. Uh, that is next week's chain movie. That will um, be in addition to, of course, Fire Walk With Me. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. If you want to watch along, I believe it's available on Stan in Australia. Ah, fantastic. There you go. Um, right. Uh, shall I cleanse the palate a little bit? Are we going to cleanse the palate? We'll cleanse the palate first after that, and then we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll get a word from our sponsor afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll only talk quickly about Raya and the Last Dragon. Raya and the Last Dragon is um, the latest Disney animated feature film that had the misfortune of falling into the COVID delays and then it ended up coming out on Disney Plus Premium Access where you can watch it straight away for an extra $30 payment or something like that, but then you don't get to keep it or some, some weird thing about it. Um, I wonder how they're going with that. I can't imagine many people choose to do that. Yeah, I mean, it feels like that was only in there for maybe six weeks exclusivity before it went on to the, the standard Disney Plus service. And now they've got Cruella on their premium access movie. It seems like they only have one movie at a time. Um, I still find it bizarre that a um, Pixar movie of Soul was straight away for everyone it wasn't a premium service because that's the kind of movie a prestige the pixar it's, it's, prestige. It, it, with the pixar brand on the top of it yeah you get a lot i've not heard of this movie prior to the last dragon yeah but um and it was kind of in the in the press for quite a while because it was um an all asian cast for one thing um and it uh, was kelly marie tran coming back after being fairly ostracized for her performance of Rose Trico in the oh. Star Wars sequels. Um, and she does a great job with the voice. But overall, the whole thing kind of feels very derivative. Um, it's the stereotypical story of nations breaking apart and then a lone hero trying to save the world. Um, and anyone who has ever watched the Nickelodeon show um, Avatar The Last Airbender will look at this and go, wow, they borrowed really heavily from that show, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Um, there's a lot of references, and Avatar does it way, way better, largely because, like most things, 
when you're trying to tell a complex full world and a story that spans a continent such as Raya, it ends up becoming a bit of a flick book when they go, oh yeah, I'm just going to go from this nation to this nation to this nation to this nation, collecting stones to save the world. It's like, wow, this, this country seems really, really small. Or it's like, okay, I have no connection. And everyone, everything just happens so conveniently. Um, so it's, you know, if they had put this, you know, in, increase the story, just spent more time developing the story and actually made it like a mini series, it might feel more interesting and less derivative of all of these other fantasy movies and books and TV shows and um, tabletop RPG games that have very obviously influenced this. And it's not only the story that kind of feels derivative, but the animation seems weird. The vistas, the, the, the look, the locations are stunning. It is really beautiful, but the animation of the people is really weird, particularly um, the father in this. Whenever he talks, it, the animation just seems very robotic and it doesn't seem natural. Like when you look at the Pixar stuff, when it's the humans, going back to even their sort of like early human references of the Incredibles, they, the, the muscles when, they, when the characters talked in these lovely close-ups that they had, it looked real, it looked believable. But in this, it kind of looks like there's key frames missing from the animation and it looks kind of like a buggy version of Mass Effect Andromeda or something like that. It just doesn't look quite right. It's like, I, this is this is a weird movie. This is computer animation. This isn't cell yeah, animation. Or it's computer crazy. animation. It's computer animation. And it just, the, just every single landscape looks lush and photorealistic. Um, water, lighting effects, all of that stuff. But then you've just got this weird animation of the people as well. I don't know why you're doing that. That's never been a problem for Disney before. That's never been a problem. Why are you, stop it. <laughs> and it's it's very frustrating. So it's it's a fine movie. It is one that you can, if you're still in lockdown, like a lot of people are, it's a perfect one for kids because it is, it's got that Doctor Who level of threat. There is, there is a persistent level of fear throughout it, but there is this constant level of hope, optimism, and winning overall that just oozes very, very kid-friendly. I was going to say, um, so this is obviously at a much younger audience than, say, most of your Pixar films. A hundred percent. This is... There's like there have been people who have kind of said, oh, this is the first animated movie that Disney have made where there's a bit of a lesbian relationship going on. Like, mm, I didn't get that feeling at all between those two characters. There's it's more frenemy. And I don't think that, I think people are reading a lot into that. Um, but if you get that, cool. I just think if they're going to do that, it deserves proper attention. Was well, this the same thing I said about um, uh, the, the last of the Star Wars sequels? Oh, no, there's going to be a gay relationship, the first gay relationship in the in the Star Wars universe, and it's like a quarter of a second kiss between mm -hmm. two background characters, but they cut out when they released in China. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, if they had any balls, 
any yeah. balls, it would have been Poe and Oscar Isaac, whatever his character's name was. He was um, Poe. Well, John Boyega. Finn and Poe. See how yeah. I've just completely <laughs> blacked out my memory of those awful, awful films. <laughs> so I have a friend, someone at the moment, who's trying to convince me to, to re-watch The Last Jedi with a feminist perspective. So I'm going to do that soon. Um, okay. And that would be maybe maybe that'll change my mind. But anyway, if I had any balls, it would have been Oscar Isaac yeah. and John Boyega's character because not. he was screaming for it, and you can't cut that out. Yep. It would have been a lot harder to cut that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, um, Disney don't have any balls. Um, no. And that's maybe probably why they make so much money. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, if you've got access to Disney+, Plus, if you've got kids sure raya but otherwise if you want something that's a bit more universally tailored with more world development in it more character development more poignancy then stick netflix watch avatar the last airbender and then go ahead and watch cora because that goes that actually grows up with the audience it doesn't have the same young audience primary focus that avatar had it actually becomes like a teenagers and older focus of story so it's great um that was the um that was the avatar the last minute that's the one that i'm not sure directed right <clears throat> there are certain movies that we agree do not exist and that is one <laughs> Uh, that is not a good um, interpretation of the source material in any way. Low, that was a low blow. It reminds, yes, me of a time, reminds me of a time we were in Adelaide and you, felt, you, you suddenly figured out that I'd been confusing Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z all these years. <laughs> Why do you hurt me? Why do you hurt me? <laughs> that film hurt me. I, just, I haven't got it quite got over that film yet. Um, that was five years ago. <laughs> Well, there you go. You made me watch Death Machine, so. <laughs> but that's just my quick thoughts on Raya. That sounds like a middling, a middling success at best. It's middling at best, yeah. yeah. If you think if I haven't seen any of that shit you just mentioned, I haven't seen Avatar, I haven't seen Korra and whatever it was, Um, if I'm not familiar with uh, all those. No point in watching it. I, I'm not going to think this is actually quite good if I'm not picking up and ripping other stuff off. Uh... No, because even though you haven't watched any of those particular elements, you'll look at it and go, oh, this is is using... It's so... I guess, like, we've talked about it in the past. One of our highly enjoyed movies is uh, John Carter and how that source material has been data-mined so brutally for Star Wars, for Superman, for all of these things. Going back to this, it's all like, okay, there's... You know, anyone who, when you watch it, you kind of go, okay, I feel like I've seen this before. It's because you have <laughs> in so many things. It's kind of sad. It's just, it's no. very, very shallow. Yeah. Rightio. Anyway. Um, I think it's time for a word from our sponsor. Yeah, I think you? I think you're right. Yes, yes. So, Let's uh, queue, queue up our sponsors. just queue up our sponsors over here. Um, and take me a sickie. Oh, it's the technology mm-hmm. at its best. We are nothing but professional. And there we go. Oops, hang on a second. Give me a second. I'm going to do that again. Um, um, I've got to click the button to share the audio. Share that audio. People need to know. All right. He's back. The guilty party. Tony Blowout Sheehan. It doesn't add up, Mr. Sheehan. 
The Auditor-General has just told us that Victoria's bank account, the Consolidated Fund, was in the red by $2 billion in March. And that's $768 million more than you told us it was. What are you covering up, Mr Sheehan? Labor never learns, does it? Guilty. Authorised by P. Giorgio for the Liberal Party, Melbourne. Where else could you find Angora Knits for $29.95? Or the latest pirate shirts for $39.95? And pirate jeans only $69.95? And where else could you pick up sweats like these for $25.95? These baseball jackets only $55.95? Pure cotton hand knits? Where else? Only $39.95. Where else but Wesco? It's morning again in the world of American Express. In a thousand cities, our 50,000 people will commit themselves to giving our card members the very best. Before this day is done, American Express card members will visit virtually every country on Earth. And they'll expect every one of the million transactions they make to go smoothly. Every request to be met in full. And every call for help to be answered. Before this day is done, our commitment to this unique standard of service doesn't vary one iota from day to day, city to city, all around the world. Have we got any more copying paper? I got it! Yes! Choosing the best copying paper is a reflex action because you can rely on reflex. More terrifying than alien. I think you'll have our more mysterious than the abyss. I've never encountered anything like it in my life. Deep under the ocean. The seafloor is giving way. Lives the ultimate fear. Can we kill it? For the first time on television. Are you telling me they disappear? Monday on Channel 10, Deep Star 6. Well, there you go. Deep Star 6. Have you seen that, George? No, but I am morbidly curious. I, I am a little bit. I looked it up before we showed it. It didn't sound very good. Um, I am not sure it's more terrifying than Alien. <laughs> Quite a statement. Um, so, yeah, crappy movie. And I, I, I particularly like the Guilty Party ads in there this week. Um, that, was the, um, that was a very effective uh, commercial during the uh, state election back then, um, which... Um, the uh, ALP got absolutely stomped like a knock at a biker rally. Um, <laughs> um, and we were stuck with Jeff Kennett for six or seven years. You missed the good times. Hey, at least back there, back in those days, uh, um, someone was able to actually keep the job for more than two years. Hey, we've had a full-term PM now for a little bit, right? Um uh, <laughs> no, he's been, he's been, he's not been here. <laughs> well, picky, picky. <laughs> he's just been a placeholder. No one's actually realised that it's just a cardboard cutout that's going like this. That, that's exactly what we needed. After he's not offending, he's not offending anybody in his own party. He's going to get him fired. There's your True. daily fix of Australian politics. <laughs> that's why people they tune into the show for that. Um, they do. They, they do. do. <laughs> Um, uh, what they don't tune in though for, uh, and, and I'm, they're about to see, um, um, is they do not they do not tune in. See me sticking the boots into a beloved Australian classic, but oh, sticking the boots in, stick the boots are going in to Mad Max 1979. They are going in. They're going in hard. How dare you, sir? That is a national treasure. 
she was on East Enders. How dare you? Um, <laughs> um, um, so I am. Um, uh, I visited my my uh, bubble buddy on Saturday night, and mm -hmm. um, I, I was in the mood for some Mad Max, but she'd already seen Mad Max Fury Road. Mm -hmm. So um, we decided to go for to see where it all started. I kind of would have preferred to go for a Mad Max Two Road Warrior, but that isn't for some reason that and Fun of Dome aren't available on stand. But Mad Max and Fury Road are so. Um, that smells like what people do for the Highlander movies. Highlander one, occasionally you'll get Highlander three. You'll never and, get Highlander two. And they're talking about rebooting that right now. Yeah, with Henry Cavill. No, interesting choice. No, naughty Hollywood, naughty. Um, <laughs> where else are you going to get the joy of a Frenchman playing a Scotsman and a Scotsman playing a Spanish peacock? I mean. It's who spent just, lots of time in Japan. It's just not going to work. Yep. Um, anyway, so Mad Max, if you haven't seen it, obviously probably everybody knows the franchise. It's mm -hmm. it's huge. It's, it's a global icon of a franchise that I think they're filming or have filmed or will be filming a fifth film with uh, Anya Taylor's Anya Joy um, Anya Taylor, Taylor um, whatever her name is, um, from uh, Queen's Gambit, yep. um, as Furiosa, the character played by... Uh, Shelley's Theron in Fury Road, mm -hmm. and if and if George Miller's back involved, I'm on board. Mm -hmm. I George mean, Miller is a talented man. When I look at a film like like Fury Road, I go, he had a Justice League movie in the works. Mm -hmm. He had a script. He had a cast. They were scouting mm -hmm. locations. They had costumes. Mm -hmm. They had a green light until the writer strike. What could George Miller have done with the fucking Justice League? Mm -hmm. um, you mm -hmm. know. What could that have been? Anyway, who knows? Army Hammer is Batman, I think it was. And Megan Gow was Wonder Woman. I don't remember the rest of the cast. Yeah. Um, but it would have been fascinating to see. Um, yeah. But where did he start? He was a doctor back in the day. He was an emergency room doctor here in Melbourne, Australia. And he would work as an emergency room doctor to save up money to make his feature debut. And that was uh, feature sorry, debut feature. And that was Mad Max from 1979. Mm -hmm. In a self-destructing world, eventual Australian policeman sets out to stop a violent motorcycle gang. Um, starring Mel Gibson, of course. Um, mm -hmm. Not really a very well-known actor outside of no. his... No, he hasn't done anything no, else. No, he's, he's never done anything. He's never been controversial, that's for sure. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> other people, Steve Bisley is in this, and uh, I don't expect our non-Australian audience to know who Steve Bisley is, but our Australian audience would be like, that dude, um, <laughs> very, very well-known Australian actor locally. Um uh, he was in the Great Gatsby for those of you who are playing at home. Okay. Uh, and you don't know. Hugh Keys Burn, notable in this, mainly because he plays uh, the bad guy in this film, but he also played a Morton Joe mm -hmm. in, in Fury Road. Mm -hmm. um, so, other than that, I don't think you're going to know a whole lot of people in this film. There's a few yeah. fairly well known Australian names and faces. You'd be like, oh, I know that face. I know that face. I've seen him in stuff. Yeah. Um, but. When it, when it comes to big names, we're talking we're talking Mel Gibson here. Um, yes. So this is a very low budget film. I think I don't exactly oh, know yeah. what the budget was. Um, it, it's a it's his first film, as I sort of said. Mm -hmm. um, uh, where are we? So budget three hundred k. Now hundred k. Now I don't know what films were being made for in seventy nine, but I don't think mm. it would have been too many films coming out of Hollywood on that budget. Yeah, so yeah. Probably a fairly reasonable budget for an Australian feature, I think. I don't know. I um, so at that time, uh, you know, yeah. 
I mean, I'm sorry. I'm gonna, my, I'm gonna put my cinema studies hat on for a moment here, mm -hmm. um, and say stuff like uh, there was there was a point in time around that period um, where there was sort of a almost a a renaissance of Australian cinema, um, mm. and that was off the back of government funding. Mm. We seen um, Gallipoli on this show, mm -hmm. but the Gibson, which is a very very fine film. Mm -hmm. uh, other films, Picnic at Hanging Rock, very famous. Mm -hmm. um, Break him a rant, less well known, well known outside Australia, but very well known within Australia. Um, so, Break him a rant, for example, was made on eight hundred thousand in nineteen eighty. Um, so that's over double what this yeah. was, and that was a that was set during the um, the Boer Wars in South Africa. Mm -hmm. um, and so, there was a real renaissance of Australian cinema coming out of the seventies into the eighties, but with these grand historical epics, you know, about mm. you know, glorious Australians, you know, doing glorious things in war, and you know. That sort of thing. Very romanticized Australian films in oh, a way. Yeah. yeah. Where it's, it's almost interesting because have you ever seen the documentary Not Quite Hollywood? No. Um, I used to work with someone who knew the director's head. Um, it's, See, uh, we, we don't joke when we have all the connections, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's, uh, it's a documentary about exploitation cinema. Okay. And uh, Quentin Tarantino, big fan of it, helped get mm. the film made, um, the, the documentary. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a lot of that throughout the, that film during the 70s, being that, again, it had the very, you know, the kind of laws that Uwe Boll gets his films made with in Germany, you know, yeah. very lax tax laws. We had that here for a while as well. <laughs> and, and for better or for worse, that set made, saw a lot of schlock being made, a lot of sex films, a lot of science fiction films, a lot of mm. genre films, horror films, that kind of thing. And I feel like this is maybe the last wave of it. I'm sorry I'm having a very long intro here. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, this is kind of a last wave of that in a sense. It's just kind of handing the, the baton over from that exploitation period of, you know, schlocky, you know, crappy, you know, drive-in films, um, mm. you know, grindhouse films almost, the kind of ones that yeah, we all know. Yeah. Um, through to, you know, the real austere, respectable historical epics that the government was contributing big money towards. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know why this film is so fondly remembered compared to, well, I can tell you one, it's the sequels. That's why this film is fondly mm. remembered compared to, you know, uh, if, if you do, if you can find Not Quite Hollywood, mm. I do strongly recommend checking it out. It's a wonder, especially if you're like, if you're a fan of cinema, you're a fan of Australian cinema, even better. But um, there's a lot of films in there. I, I, I'm a fan of Australian cinema and I sat there and watched it. I'm like, I've never heard of any of this. Mm. Uh, okay. it's kind of, we've kind of wiped that part of our cinema history. We don't like to pay attention to it. We want to remember Peter Weir and Mel Gibson, you know, in the mm -hmm. um, but this film uh, is a mess, an yeah. absolute mess of a film. I'm sorry. I know it's got, it's got a fucking 6.9 on IMDb. It's got a 73 meta score. And I know I am, I am here. It's like me opening up and going, you know what? Back in black isn't a very good record. Um, and, <laughs> you know, like let the, send the letters through to George, not me. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is not kidding. Um, yeah, I, yeah, like I, I, I'm beating a, a sacred cow of Australian cinema here. Like, mm -hmm. you, it's not could, good. Yeah. It's really, really not good. Like the things that are good in this film, the car chases and yes. some of the stunts are really quite good. Mm -hmm. And we found ourselves there watching it on the weekend, going, "Holy shit, the stunts in here are great." Which I mean. If you've got, you see Fury Road, yeah, he hasn't lost it, right? No, um, no, not so. no. no one shoots cars. No one shoots car chases like Miller. No one shoots practical car effects and stunts like Miller um, mm -hmm. today. No one. 
Um, and so you can see that from day one. He must have been a car guy. Um, uh. so he, but what these stunts are amazing. How did they do this? Do this in the seventies on this budget? And how they did it is they didn't have. <laughs> They just did them, mate. For yeah, uh, OHS wasn't really a thing, so a lot <laughs> we of just need were... this car to flip five times. So let's just set up the ramp, wait the front, and that's what we'll do. You, you're good with this, Phil, right? You're, you're good to flip it five times to be fine. Yeah. Um, and don't worry, Trevor, I'm fine. <laughs> um, a lot of the stunt work in this was done without permits and yeah. illegally. Yeah, this is um, a lot of filmmaking. A lot of a shooting was done. Just a, not even a stunt work. Just a st the shooting was done illegally with as you said, guerrilla style, without permits. Mm. Um, yeah, one of the more interesting aspects of it, from my perspective, is it was shot um, down near where I grew up, um, and you know, sort of southwest Victoria. Um, and a lot of the fun is trying to pick where certain things were. Okay, I see you Yangs over there. I can see them. Okay, that's down near Geelong. Uh, Ford used to, used to make cars in Geelong where I grew up, which is near where this was shot. And they have a Ford Proving Ground, at least they used to. But I guess they, I don't know what they do. They prove cars? Do they drive them? They test them? I don't know what happens at a Proving I Ground. I can guarantee that this vehicle is a car. That's all it they may do. explode. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so that's a lot of shot around those Ford testing um, mm. tracks. But there's also a certain scenes where you're like, oh, I know where that is. That's the Melbourne University car park. Um, and, um, you know, that, that science works, I think. So there's a little bit of um, trivia there for us. But as a film, the storytelling is really bad, um, mostly. Uh, when you, we get away from the stuff we know Miller does well, which is car chases and stunts, mm -hmm. um, it's, the story feels really choppy. It sort of cuts yeah. and chops around, jumps around quite a bit. Like we never really get much of an introduction about who Max is. The film starts with a a, a car chase of a a member of who I imagine was the the bikey gang. Because I really don't actually get much of an intro as to who this guy is, who Mad Max is chasing, why they're chasing him, why he's driving like a maniac. It just is. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we don't really get a lot of background about you know uh the world we're living in like apparently it's i, I always thought of this as a post-apocalyptic film yeah um and it's not it's it's kind of mid-apocalypse i guess so but we're not given a lot of context about the apocalypse no. um no. my uh, uh my friend michelle who i was watching this with said to me at some points um you said this is post-apocalyptic is it i'm like kind of thought it was i mean po plot keywords on imdb post-apocalypse yeah. is the first one um so, and i'm like there's, there's no you know i think post-apocalyptic you know you're thinking you know post-nuclear war or something especially in the 80s or the 70s um and there's no real hint of that like mm. the world kid seems kind of shitty and mm -hmm. kind of half-assed I mean, the police just get around and buy some you know buy motorcycle levers but it's no real actual you know, it, it, the, best, what, what, the best way to kind of describe it for anyone who hasn't seen this is think of the alternative reality Back to the Future Part Two, where it's Biff Tannen has taken over. Yeah. That's that's it. That's, that's what about it. Yeah, maybe a little bit more rundown, right? It's kind yeah. of chaotic. It's you know, it's like yeah, it's like a it's like a Donald Trump won a second term. That's mm. what it's like. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's an odd one. Um, mm. And the, the editing is kind of funky in the sense that, like, there are lots of really short scenes that don't seem to add very much. Like, yeah. you know, it'd be like him sitting on a beach with his wife and then we'll cut to 
somewhere else where something else is going on. And then we'll cut back to him, Max, doing something else. And, you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't actually – these three scenes don't really seem to have any connection. They don't seem to be necessarily pushing the story forward. It's almost like – you know, we've seen some bad films in this show before, like really mm -hmm. unsuccess deeply unsuccessful films. Mm -hmm. And the feeling – maybe you remember um, – Ballistic X versus Sever. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, yeah. Yep. How I'm feeling that in my guts. <clears throat> and, then, and then the funny thing was like, they would just be, you almost felt like they ran out of time or they ran out of money yeah. or they just didn't storyboard it or they didn't shoot everything they needed to shoot. And then they got into the edit bay and they've gone, oh, mm -hmm. crap. We've got to stretch this to 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, and we've got two hours of footage. So, you know, maybe we use that take where the guy in the background was laughing and looking at the camera, you know, so, <laughs> you know, like we don't have another take to put in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are yeah. takes in there. It's kind of like they put them in there because they needed to stretch the film out to 80, 90 minutes to get it across the line as a feature. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it, it, but for just weird for a film as revered as this to have that vibe of, you know, unsuccessful student films that are just spliced together from whatever footage they had. Yeah. That's how this film feels until the th probably into a third act. In the third act, they kind of get their shit together. Yeah. Uh, in the third act, we have, I mentioned earlier, um, the, we have a bad guy, Toe Cutter, played by Hughes Burns, Hugh Keysburn, um, and it's basically, it's a giant chase. Mm. Now, basically, um, Mad, Mad Max, Max now is now hunting them down in, in in the spirit of revenge, and that's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. It's kind of fun. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's it's more of it's more. And that's the reason why that's fun is because Miller isn't trying to do the relationship story between Max mm. and his wife anymore, which is deeply unconvincing, mm -hmm. um, and and really kind of dull. And yeah. you know, some people say the I. Somebody said to me, Susie, the, the co-host of my um, uh, my other podcast, The Throwback, available now on Spotify. Um, two new episodes. Two new episodes dropped this week. Um, uh, he's told me this week that she was she walked out of um, Fury Road after twenty minutes and was bored silly, um, which wow. stuns me because it's I guess one of the greatest action films ever made, mm -hmm. um, and one of my favorite films I think, um, but. You notice he doesn't do any of that relationship shit in that. Like, it's just go and go to work. Her complaint is it's, it's a big car chase from start to finish. They go across that way and they drive back. And you're like, I don't see what the problem with that is. Does, um, does she have a problem with the first Terminator movie? Because that is just one long chase sequence as well. I'll have to ask. Yeah. Uh, it is on our wheel, the Terminator. It's on our wheel oh, on, the, there you uh, go. on the, on the throwback to you watch at some future date. So, um, you know, I, I don't think, well, I can't, I haven't seen everything else that George Miller's done, but in the Mad Max world, I've, the, he's kind of done away with these human relationships. The, this, is, this is a film that kind of had to happen because yeah. he doesn't have, um, uh, you know, uh, his motivation is pretty well fixed at the end of his film. He's mm -hmm. a revenge-filled asshole who will do what needs to be done to survive uh and that's what he does in the next three films um yeah. and we don't have to worry about the fact that something happened that caused him to be revengeful us because it's already happened so yeah. this is a film we had to have to get the other three and i'm okay with that um it's just it's a, not an easy watch it's a pretty it's a pretty bad film frankly it's, it's, it's yeah it's, it, it hasn't aged well um and you know just visually it's kind of just always this is something i consistently find harder and harder to do is going back to 
pre-high def and just seeing the muddy visuals it's it's always nice when you get the uh, the remastered versions of this it's like oh my god look i can actually see all the colors and the lines and the detail it's beautiful i can actually see how it's supposed to be filmed that's the blessing of film it has infinite depth unlike digital which has got a certain amount of depth um it, it, it's not even just a picture quality I'm okay, I'm, I'm okay about the sense it's um it's george miller in his embryonic stage he's He's mm. learning his craft on the job. And he's becoming the, the the great director he would become, you know, a couple of years later when, when Road Warrior came out. But that doesn't make this actually enjoyable to watch this again. Uh, I thought of this while we were talking about Sid and Nancy. That mm. makes this a cinematic curiosity in the same vein as Sid and Nancy. Not something you'd necessarily yeah. say, sit down and watch it, unless you're a student of film or yeah. just a big fan. Of, if you're a big, 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 big fan of George Miller and the Mad Max films, check it out once or twice but stick to the other three absolutely agree and that's that's really saying something when you think of beyond thunderdome because that came out at a point where every single bloody action movie that came out so like yeah we need to have a kid in this no you don't you don't <laughs> fucking need a kid no <laughs> I, I i don't know who that is swearing in the comments there but um i don't i don't know what you're talking about this is my shirt i bought it <laughs> um <laughs> hello there sir hello uh i am nothing i'm promoting and promoting yeah. <laughs> merchandising merchandising <laughs> um you just wait for the julian smith flamethrower yeah <laughs> uh, julian smith the, the breakfast cereal <laughs> actually it wouldn't surprise me for his one as i said <laughs> he is he is huge in south korea in more ways than mm -hmm, one mm -hmm. uh -huh. it's true. um so um Yes, Mad Max, mm, it was a hard watch. It was a mm. really hard watch. And um, as excited as I am to see what happens to Furiosa, I, yeah, mm. this one was... I was surprised at how hard, how much I disliked this film. Yeah, it's 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 so strange when you go back and, and revisit those originating works and you kind of think, oh, wow, really? The, that, that guy made that masterpiece? Like going back and watching Following chris nolan's first feature film it's like it's i think comparatively it is better than mad max but it's still kind of like okay it's, that's rough you are just kind of throwing everything at the wall with um playing with the chronology of the timeline and doing all of this stuff you're just seeing what what fits right now aren't you and i'm entirely guilty of that myself it is a way of finding your taste Vaughn available yeah. on Amazon.com. Um, uh, it's quality, you know, quality read. Um, I would say that it's um, the mystery for me here is it's not that mm. he became a great director. Everyone has to start learning somewhere and yeah. what better place to start, especially when you do things, something as good um, as a good car chase and you do it as well, sorry, mm. as Miller already did to start with. Um, the question I had was, how did he get money for the second one on this? Well, the bu budget, looking at Wikipedia, this movie ended up raking in $100 million. Eventually. Worldwide. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, he obviously made money, but I think I think I know in the States mm. that Mad Max came out after Mad Max 2 in the States. So I think it, that's it, right. Yeah. Mad Max was just called Mad Max. I mean, it was just called The Road Warrior, I think, it was released in the yeah. States. Yeah, um, that's right. And so that hit in the States. That was the big hit in the States initially. And then they went back and they were, oh, well, we've got this other one that no one's seen. And they dumped that into the cinemas in the US. Mm. Um, and I, I suspect that that is why it's got that 
that really yeah. nice gross is because um, people went it, back and rewatched. They went it back on on a strength of a second mm-hmm. one. So mm-hmm. maybe it made a lot of money in Australia the first time around. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but maybe. I'm just curious. Like, I mean, I just does not strike me as the kind of film that would make a lot mm-hmm. of money. It's quite. It's very very violent. One of the other things I think to to try and remember with with a lot of these movies and their budgets, particularly the older the, the older you get with the movie, the longer they were in theaters. Like Titanic, one of the reasons why it took so much money was because it was in the cinemas for like eight months. Something oh, yeah, ridiculous. The other thing I was thinking was maybe the drive-in circuit, which is more of a drive-in film. Uh, and mm-hmm. Julian, if you look at the bottom left of the screen, George has a caption that tells you what film we are watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is Mad Max, the 1979 George Miller um, classic. Yep. Um, <laughs> you're right. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of a drive-in film, right? Um, yeah. Maybe it, it's, it's, it's perfect of, for that. Uh, actually, if you go to the drive-in in Melbourne, in one of the few that's left in Coburg. I don't know if you've ever been out there, George. Yeah, um, you took me there. We went, we went there once, didn't we? we, we, went there. we saw, yeah. I don't remember what we saw, but we did go. Um, yeah, I don't but, know. Um, there's actually a replica of the Mad Max car is above the, that's right. yes. the box office. Yes. When you're driving in. So um, it's 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 iconic. It's an iconic film from, from my just taste. Yeah. Uh, so it's, um, it's very fondly remembered. Um, mm. and it was, um, I was just, yeah, yeah, I'd be interested to know this. I wonder if it's a book or something. I'd be actually quite fascinated to know about the making of this film and like how they, because they get the budget for Mad Max 2, by the way, was $3 million. Wow. So that is, um, that is, uh, just that's uh, 1981. So two years later, he's Eight got a, ten, a tenfold increase in his budget. Um, and, yeah, I used to wonder where that money came from. I, yeah. My only suggestion to to uh, to um, uh, to to Michelle, who I was watching this with my bubble buddy, um, mm. was that um, Victoria Police. That's legal. I'm allowed to do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, was it maybe it's because of the uh, the government? Um, there was some sort of special, you know. Uh, favorable government you know tax treatment to encourage yeah. people to invest in films again a la, a la uve bowl in, in in germany and mm-hmm. and or there was some sort of government funding that it got i don't know um yeah. but that's fascinating to me because it's, it's really kind of a crappy the first one was kind of crappy um <laughs> and the second one is a stone cold masterpiece 100 100 percent in in some ways it's kind of like a little bit like what Sam Raimi did with the Evil Dead movies of the first one. That one is an out-and-out classic, regardless of how old the movie gets or anything like that. It is it is a brilliant piece of horror. The second one, he essentially remakes the movie, but does it with a bigger budget and a slightly different focus. And George Miller kind of did the same thing with this. He's like, okay, uh, I'm going to take what works in the first one and just expand on that and cut up so much of the fat and it works and it's it's given him one hell of a career uh yes you can forget the witches of eastwick mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and baby directed that um and <laughs> I, was, I was saying though uh again to uh, uh, he has won an oscar by the way if you're not yeah you know, george miller does have an oscar mm-hmm. it was for happy feet though yep <laughs> Bit of the yin yang there right yep. uh Happy Feet, Fury Road was in contention for Oscars. Same director, lovely. It's, it's like 
kind of going, oh, yeah, you know what? Quentin Tarantino's final movie is going to be a Disney film about flowers. That would be great. I would love to see that. I've frozen. Okay, I think we've lost George. I've just had been told that they have lost power um, up in the, uh, the mountains in the uh, uh, King Lake region where George and Co. call home, unfortunately. Um, he, they are out of power. So they've used a bit too much. They've run out. And the bad news for the rest of you means you are stuck with me. Um, and that is never a good thing when it's solo. You know, um, it's like Statler without Waldorf is what it is. It's, um, you know, uh, Hall without Oats. Um, <laughs> Julian, I can dial you in. I don't know how much you're going to want to know about. Um, I actually can't dial you in, actually, because I, I, I don't have the keys to this thing. Uh, that's, uh, that is George's, uh, has the, um, um, the actual uh, ability to, uh, to invite people and stuff. Hang on a second. Let me see if I can send you a link. Uh, this is a, a, an unprecedented uh, occurrence, I should note, um, because we've this has never happened to us before. Um, let me just drop this in. See if that works, Jules. Um, this um, I don't know if you can join by your phone, George, if, uh, George, you're watching. Um, we're just trying to... Live, live, live broadcasting, uh, people. Um, it's um, we've never had a power outage before. Um, we've just had you know, uh, people storming off. We had Archimedes, two Saxons. Well, that sounds sexy. Um, uh, we've had Archimedes who's refused to appear. Um, we've just had shows that no one listened to because we're not very good. Um, so. Uh, but a power outage is a first, and you never know. They might come back up. Sometimes it comes up pretty quick. But if you've never, um, if you've never been out to the uh... <laughs> Julian is doing his hair, that's a plus. Um, and this was going to be a surprise. Julian was going to be our guest for next week, so um, we, we, uh, I have got no idea what we're going to talk about, um, considering we haven't planned this. But we will try and crack on for another 20 minutes or so and get you through your normally scheduled sort of um, length of something like this. And um, uh, it will see if George can, can rejoin if the power gets back up there. But um, for those of you who don't know, um, George lives in the King Lake region of Victoria. I'm probably not doxing him by saying that's a big part of the country. I'd never even heard of King Lake before um, the 2007. Bushfires? When was Black Saturday, people? No, it was 2010, I think. Um, uh, the, the bushfire, 2009 bushfires. I'll get there eventually. Uh, and that that basically was almost completely um, completely wiped out by the bushfires. Um, yeah, um, George doesn't look like gonna, it doesn't look like George is going to be able to rejoin us. Um, 
which is unfortunate. Um, do you say you can't get back on? Is your power back on, George? Do you we want to do we want to leave and come back in? Is that what we want to do? This is a uh, this is I'm sure this is fascinating uh, podcasting for the people listening at home. Um, um, uh, George can probably edit this shit out because it's not much fun for people listening on the podcast. It's probably not much fun for people watching me. In fairness. Um, but anyway, yes, uh, the, the, the area of King Lake was basically nuked almost by the, the incredible firestorms that happened as part of that those Black Saturday bushfires. Um, and it's way up in the uh, way up in the hills. May I have to end the show and start again? You give me uh, give me the okay, and uh, we will do that. And people who are, I see we have three people watching. For the, uh, some of you are on uh, on Twitch, I think. Um, if you stick around for a few minutes, um, we will see if um, uh, <laughs> we're gonna get, see if Jules can join us first, George. We'll see how we go with that, um, and uh, we'll see if I can make that work. Um, what if? What if you? What if you? Uh, uh, do, do, do. Uh, I'm just gonna send George a link. Uh, Uh, and I don't think is I don't even have the uh, I can't even put the commercials back on for you. And I think, um, because uh, George needs to actually click the button to let me do that. So um, that's not going to be possible for me to play you the commercials, which is a shame because they're kind of good. Um, uh, I think coming up next was a, uh, a commercial uh, about Jesus Christ Superstar the concert. So, um, you know, that's that's one for a blast from the past for those of us old enough to remember that shit. Wow. I, uh, I should have Greg on for Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, well, that would require Patria um, the uh, Greg to finish his podcast of his own. He's got his own podcast to finish. Um, and uh, not the film, it was the musical, you know, the John Farnham one. But he has to, you know, he should finish his own podcast before he goes around mucking around with other people's podcasts. Um, we've been asking for the Smith Cut to be released for some time now. Um, and, you know, I don't see any sign of it. Um um, so, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to entertain his, um, procrastinating any longer. <sighs> Come on. I just got to get some content here for you in the meantime.
Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's just going to be the show from now on, by the way. For those of you who'd like to tune in, that's just going to be the Jeopardy theme song for a couple of hours. Um, I, I hope you enjoy it. Um, I know I do. Um, there's nothing like some thinking music to try and figure out what the flipping hell we are going to do, um, given our circumstance. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have any uh, guest hosts join us because I don't have the keys to the uh, software we use to run these things, unfortunately. I don't generally sully my hands with that sort of technical detail. I am a talent. It's not really my job. I leave that to others. I have assistants. We have people for that. George. Um, so I, I don't uh, get down. I don't have the, uh, the keys to this software. I don't have the logins, and I can't let people in. I can't share videos. Um, so, um, I don't think George is going to be, it's going to let George back in. So I think we're just going to, if it doesn't, don't look like, doesn't look like to me, like the power has come back, uh, up there in the hills, you know, in a way that's going to be meaningful for this evening. Um, so you brought up me a, a little bit longer, I guess, cause I kind of wanted to finish what we had today. And I wanted to talk a little bit about, cause well, you're here, I'm here. You got anywhere else to be? You'd probably be there now, wouldn't you? You wouldn't be watching this shit. Um, uh, I was going to talk a little bit about uh, my um, my expedition into uh, the of the uh, '80s teen comedy uh, work of John Hughes. Um, so those who watched last week, or downloaded last week, or listened to it in some way, shape, or form. Um, might recall that we had a chat about um, uh, the other John Hughes film, which The Breakfast Club. That's right, that's the famous one. Um, and uh, you know, I I would never somehow had avoided seeing The Breakfast Club my entire life, and uh, found it was actually quite good, which is a shock to me, considering I was not expecting to like it. I mean, it was of you know almost forty years old. It's a target of a completely different audience to me. I was much too young to have gone to high school in the 80s, unlike some people. Um, and uh, so I, I, I kind, of, kind, of, kind, of, kind of missed it, but it was actually quite, a, quite an enjoyable little film um, and had some, some – it's, it's, it's just a statement of fact, Julian. Um, 
Um, it was it was a, a fun little film. Some really great characters, uh, and you felt a real warmth from from John Hughes with those characters. Um, and um, this week, uh, we so I decided to go in go in again for, for a little bit more after telling George last week that uh, I didn't think I had um, uh, seen many John Hughes films. It turned out I had seen most of John Hughes's films. I just hadn't seen these eighties eighties um, uh, teen uh, teen films. Um, uh, and so we went back to where it, I went back to where it started this week uh, and watched Sixteen Candles, the nineteen eighty four comedy romance directed and written by John Hughes. Starring Molly Ringwald, Anthony Michael Hall, um, and uh, that's about it. I think I don't think there's anyone else of note in this film. John Cusack, of course, and his sister is in it. Um, is here as well. Um, John Cusack. Um, I don't think she has any lines. Um, and um, so, what is the film about? If you've not seen it, a girl's sweet sixteenth birthday becomes anything but special as she suffers from every embarrassment possible. So we essentially wake up with Molly Ringwald on her 16th birthday. It is the day before her sister is due to get married. And apparently in the excitement um, and uh, rush of getting ready for that wedding, everybody has forgotten it is her birthday. And not just like forget, I mean, actually literally forgotten, which is kind of ridiculous. So how do you forget your kid's birthday? Even if this is like a, uh, a Heesian American Midwest family with a lot of kids. Um um sorry george in backstage i can't help you into the uh georgie's backstage but i can't let you in uh if you're george if you can message me let you know your power is back on um we can try and restart this show um uh if you want to try that i can quit this and start the new one if otherwise you're just gonna have to listen to me waffle on for a little bit longer about 16 candles sorry again uh audience for the interruptions and for being stuck with me for the second half of this. Um, what is it about John Hughes and people forgetting very obvious things you should not forget? I mean, if we go to his probably most famous film, of course, 1990s Home Alone, uh, a acknowledged Christmas classic, um, the fucking family go to Paris and they forget their goddamn kid. They don't even realise until they've been in Paris for a couple of days. I mean... Uh, what the fuck is it with these people and their shitty memories? Um, I um, uh, I don't know what the what the go is there. Sorry, wait with me a second. I am talking to my co-host as we speak. Um, and yeah, anyway, I forget her birthday. So from there, as it sort of if the synopsis sort of indicates, it sort of goes from um one sort of disaster to another. Um, the, her bedroom is taken over by two of her grandparents who've come to visit for the uh, for the wedding. Um, they bring with them what I think is maybe the film's weakest link. Uh, they, they, they have a Chinese exchange student staying with them, uh, played by Getty Watanabe, um, who I'm guessing from that surname is pretty probably of Japanese extraction. Watanabe usually being a Japanese surname. He plays the Chinese exchange student Long Duck Dong. Um, and wow, <laughs> you know, uh, it was the mid eighties, but this is next level racist shit. Um, uh, not only the, the kind of, you know, uh, racist, you know, sort of name there, which, you know, Long Dong. Um, with a joke name, 
Um, the fact that every time, you know, he's on screen, there's a Chinese gong sound or someone mentions his name. Oh, Long Duck Gong. You know, crash of a gongs. You're like, oh, that's kind of fucked up. Um, and apparently, according to the actor, that was all added uh, in post-production, unsurprisingly. And he had no idea they were doing it, which is great. Um, and in addition to the, you know, the racist name, the, the racist implication of a gong every time he's on screen, he the portrayal of a character is this crazy, wild, out of control, um, you know, Asian character, Asian American character is is just offensive, like sex crazed, you know, uh, irresponsible, you know, off the hook, um, flying, you know, by the seat of his pants type character. He gets drunk, he steals a car, um, that sort of thing. Um, it's it's really quite offensive. Oh, uh, hang on, I'm here. Hey, he's here. He's back. <laughs> For how long? I don't know. <laughs> Welcome back. See, let us not be said that we um we don't adapt to changing circumstances. Um, it's it's awfully dark there. Um, did you just went out like that? The battery, Philips Hue light, and my head torch. it's it's like it's it's not just an episode of a podcast. It's a um, it's um, it's a it's an Indiana Jones film. It is. It is. I will melt your fucking face. So you were talking about sixteen candles. Yes, um, I was just talking about the incredibly racist portrayal of the Asian character Long Duck Dong, um, uh, and the, the gong every time he's on st- on screen or says something or his name's mentioned to the really offensive way he was portrayed of, of um, you know uh, just being sex crazed and you know um, yeah kind of character and it was um, I was just stunned by it. I mean, it is it's not something you'd expect even as late as the eighties. Um, um, the, the quote from the actor. Oh, there we go. It's Julian as well. <laughs> and, oh, oh, no, no, special no, no, guest. No, no. Special no. guest. <laughs> special no, guest. We, 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 can't have that much, we can't have that much talent on at the same time. Sorry, we don't have it in the budget. <laughs> we, we can't you afford trust the etc. Yeah, okay, I'm good with <laughs> that. <laughs> Um, well, welcome. Well, you're, you're a week Racism early. Um, <laughs> I'm normally fashionably late. I'd be here this yeah. time next year and we'd still be dialing this shit in. <laughs> he, refused to, he, he didn't get 100 brown M&Ms in his shot glass. He wasn't going on. Um, <laughs> no, 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 the deal was, if the big guy doesn't wear my shirt, if the talent doesn't say yes to the smirt, I'm not here. <laughs> Did I wore a shirt? Um, it um, it turned up in a cleanup of my t-shirt um, uh, t-shirt collection this week. Um, I mean your t-shirt collection. But it's, 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 hey, it, I, I just cleaned it out, right? There's a there's a garbage bag going to the salvos. This one made the cut. This just in. Smirk made the cut. That's it. As you were always. Go go. You know, apropos racism and. Gongs and gongs, etc. Go, go. Um, the, the the interesting sort of thing here is that um, this uh-huh. has actually become kind of a a, a focal point for a portrayal of Asian American characters in American <laughs> cinema. The interesting stat here is there's 17 million Asian Americans in the US and 17 million Italian Americans in the US. If I asked you to think of a famous uh, film about Italian Americans, what would you say? Godfather. Mm-hmm. Oh, Goodfellas, Rocky, you know. Um, can you name one 
about can you name one memorable film about Asian Americans? Yeah, but I don't want to say it because it's as racist as all the others. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you know, I don't really want to pile on that particular Uriah Heap. Maybe, so. maybe you, might, you might say "Filthy Rich Asians" now, right? Like it's it's um, yep. this is from, uh, or potential. I mean, Parasite was not an American film, but it did win an Oscar. Um, but it, I mean, it's certainly notable to know that, that you know, uh, it's 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 a notable point in in history of really a nice sort of yin yang to sort of go. This is how they portray the character representative of seventeen million Americans. Um, <laughs> um, and I'm not going to hear say Australians have been any better. I mean, no. I, I couldn't name a famous Australian American um, Australian Asian. I can't think of many Asian Australian actors of note. Um, interestingly, there was also John Oliver this week. John Oliver's uh, show was about Asian Americans, and apparently, in a poll where they were asked to name a famous Asian American, the number one response from Americans was Jackie Chan. Number two was Bruce Lee, who died in 1973. And I don't wow. even know if he was American. Yeah, um, I mean, it's funny, but that's taking it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, anyway, so I've got a little bit of course here, but you, you can't really. I think it's just worthy to pull it out as being one of the one of the most noticeable features of a film was uh, the, the the incredibly racist uh, treatment of, of of that character because it's really in your face. Like even if they'd gone without the gong every time he said something, you know, that would have probably made it a little bit easier. Well, it's, that's one of the things of looking at movies much like 16 Candles and you think about Porky's and Animal House and some some of those kind of titans of 70s and early 80s comedy is they are entirely inappropriate now, entirely for so many reasons, whether it's sexism, racism, um, xenophobia, anything. It is just like you were talking last week about the unnecessary upshot um, in... Um, breakfast club and things like that is like it's, <laughs> it's wrong so these these are kind of the movies where like disney plus so often is in some of their older animated movies so like this is representative of a time that is um no longer socially appropriate it has that that little little calling card for it it's it's well know. i mean it's certainly true here i mean the other part of it i guess that was noticeable to me was um it's um uh, well, I guess one of the plot lines here is that we have the character played by Anthony Michael Hall, who is mm. weirdly just credited as geek. His <laughs> character doesn't have a name according to IMDb. He's just, <laughs> no, and, and he, he, has a he has a lot of lines, and he's on screen a lot of the time. Um, so feel uh, better than protagonist. I'll just say I'll, I'll pay that. Um, but at one point in time, he, he's basically trying to. He's, he's one thing I'll say for this: you can definitely see um, the influence of this film in films like American Pie. Um, mm -hmm. You know, twenty years later, um, basically he's trying. He's that character. He's almost like Jason Biggs's character, trying to score, trying to lose his virginity. Uh, initially with Molly Ringwald, um, and later on he. Um, this is one of the really strange subplots here. Um, Molly Ringwald's crush, played by Michael Schufling, who plays Jake. Um, wants to basically get his get a get his girlfriend, his drunk and passed out girlfriend, out of the way so he can get with Molly Ringwald. So he basically hands her off to to Anthony Michael Hall and say, "Go drive her somewhere else." And she's passed out in the car. And he's like, "Oh, you can pretty much do anything to her." I think there's actually a line oh. where he says something like that, and you're like, 
Oh, and then later on, she wakes up in the car. We phone for you, Michael, and she's like, "Did we?" You know, and he goes, "Yeah, I think so." And you're like, there's, "No, there's so much wrong with that." Um, um I mean, and, and the really weird. I mean, quite aside, um, the other part that was wrong with this is the fact that Jake character is played by Michael Schuffling or Schuffling. Vigor Monson uh, auditioned for that role, and they chose this dude. Um, and uh, Michael Schuffling is a name that was, uh, his last role was in 1991, so you know, um, uh, we know which worked out better there. For him. A little bit, I mean, it's, 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 it's you're gonna come back strong in the next, it's only been 30 years. Um, hey, he, but he's gonna be the, the resurgent cast in the, the next Tarantino movie. I, I would like to see that, that would be fine. But the, the Tarantino remake of Breakfast Club, except they're all elite Navy SEALs. <laughs> um but so that's a really so the whole so we've got the racist angle we have the date rape angle um uh, which is which is really working for this film um comedy gold comedy, comedy gold. gold um and i guess a really weird angle. i'm going to spoil it here but i feel it's a 20 it's a 37 year old film so that's okay um but molly ringwald ends up with jake at the end of the film and that's portrayed as a win um where jake's actually being portrayed to be kind of a douche like he's got a girlfriend <laughs> he wants to cheat on his girlfriend so he hands off his passed out girlfriend to a sleazy kid he just met um who can't drive and has her drive her somewhere even though he told him he can't drive um so jake's kind of a sleazebag he's kind of a dick um and we have one, one of those classic john hughes endings where they you know this is one of the good things about the film is now i recognize the reference where they're they're sitting there on a table and they've got the the birthday cake with the uh the the, the, um, the candles in between him and they oh, kiss yeah. and, and it's been it's been ripped off by so memory by family guy mm -hmm. where the griffin is sitting opposite he's like not like this jake not like this <laughs> <laughs> um I, I didn't recognize the reference before now um but yeah so like it's kind of portrayed as like happy upbeat ending as oh yeah the girl the, got the guy and you know her birthday ended up being all right someone's <laughs> thank you greg um, <laughs> i think that might be george but i'm i'm not gonna swear uh, to it we're doing the best we can in extraordinarily trying circumstances and I don't take advice from people who haven't finished one episode yet. Do you hear that? Uh -huh. mm. <laughs> Hashtag release a Smith cut. Um. <laughs> if I had access to the files, the Smith cut would be it. But no. There's yeah. always an excuse. There's always you'll, something you'll there to remind me. You will forgive us, Greg. Uh, there was a blackout at, um, up in the hill. So it's still it's going. <laughs> That's why we uh, haven't there is, the podcast. There, there is a <laughs> not going surviving on this uh, this battle. It, it's, it's, it's looks like um like an interrog an a KGB interrogation in George's room right now. Tell us about the secret files. <laughs> you we have this of making your talk. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it's a really odd little film. Um, Sixteen Candles, in a sense, it's got um. I guess you know again, like you go. It was the eighties, so racism, whatever. <laughs> it was the eighties, date rape, whatever. Um, but just the whole, you know, um, it's the eighties. Well, the girl gets up, ends up with a guy who was cheating on his girlfriend. Uh, that makes it all worthwhile, right? It, um, it's an odd little film in that sense, and uh, I don't. I think 
It's funny for people like me, the eighties don't quite seem like that long ago. I remember nineteen eighty four. So um, you know, it, it just it does go to show how far we've come. Um, on the upside, uh, Michael Anthony Michael Hall is very very funny in this film. Um, and um, if you um, if you uh, like me, you grew up and you, you know you grew up on the teen films of the nineties. You'll see, as I sort of said, you'll see the influence of his films like this bleeding through very strongly into into those. Um, and um, uh, he plays the geek very well. Molly Ringwald's, you know, adorable and funny, and she was at the peak I of her powers. I missed that. Oh, we've got a frozen Julian. Maybe he's got a blackout now. Everybody um, knows it. Nobody's brave enough to say all it. All the kids are doing kids. it. Uh, cool kids. <laughs> uh, you're back. You said you were going to challenge that, that appraisal of Molly Ringwald. Oh, it wasn't an appraisal. It was an assessment of a mouth odor from, you know, generations afar. But I don't hear either of you disagreeing. <laughs> no? You froze no. it. You we froze have consensus. We can move on. Um it's a funny little film. It's funny, but having now seen Breakfast Club um, and you go, okay, I can see that came a little bit after this. You can sort of see him. It was a little bit again, like we're talking about George Miller there. He's kind uh -huh. of perfecting his craft a little bit. And I think that was a significantly better film uh, on a lot of levels and, you know, had a lot less problem. As problematic as it was in parts, it was a lot less problematic. Um, and it was Are also interesting because like, like, sorry. Are you saying plot-wise it's problematic? It, well, problematic for politically problematic. Is it totally <laughs> problematic? You know, there was a prop. There was one particular, one or two moments in Breakfast Club. You're like, ooh, um, but maybe not to the degree of Sixteen Candles. Um, but it, it's also interesting now that I've sort of had that conversation with you last week, George. I'm like, actually, I have seen most of his films. Yeah. Um, just they got a little bit more adult as we move forward. Yeah. You can like see that. elements. Um, you can see elements of his film in you know his stuff. Sort of becoming more mature in things like planes, trains, and automobiles, Uncle Buck, uh, uh, that sort of thing. Definitely. Uh, Home Alone. Um, but um, I think the plan, given time this weekend, I am going to go right back to where it started for him, or well, close to, and see Pretty in Pink. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Actually, that's a couple of years after this. I thought this was before this. So he wrote Pretty in Pink, and it came out in 1986. So uh, that's my next target when it comes to this. Uh, if you're looking to watch this, um, I had a quite a unique experience seeing this film. We got a shiny plastic disc and put it in a thing that reads a plastic disc and it puts it on the television. It was mind-blowing. That doesn't sound like real technology. I'm it's, sorry. It's legit. No, I'm sorry. It's, it's just, no. I mean, on a disc, don't be silly. <laughs> Physical is not if a Jim thing. Morrison can predict it, it's real. Yeah, but he was ethereal, so it doesn't count. And he died. <laughs> um, that's 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 um my thoughts on sixteen candles. It was not. It was again. I'm just going to have to put it down in the cinematic curiosity bucket. Um, it, it's not really a film I'd recommend just because of its <laughs> politics, but um, it, it's worth watching if you're interested in that sort of thing. If you're interested in sort of seeing where teen teen films came from. I think it, yeah, I think it's it's very important as like a foundation movie for the how we got to the teen movies that we get to in these days. Because as you said, so much of this is kind of the launching point for what was American Pie, which was one of the most successful teen movies of recent time and spawned a ridiculous amount of spin offs. And 
that kind of way of telling a teen movie like we talked about before, which we don't really get too much of it in modern cinema anymore. That's still kind of the standard or the stereotype of story that you're going to get. It is kind of borderline gross out comedy, usually talking about farts, unnecessary erections and sex. And so like, yeah, those are points of funny comedy, but this is kind of where it really got popularized. I think you're right. And so, I mean, I think people want to see stories about themselves on a screen, right? Um, mm, yeah. Would agree. And you, you remember being at high school and, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's turned out to 11. Mm. Um, but, you know, you want to, you, everyone remembers being unpopular or being rejected or trying to get a date, at least some of us do. Um, well, you know, some of us, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and yeah, losing their virginity, that kind of thing. It's all part of the, the experience of being in your being a teenager, so I'm told. Um, <laughs> Admit it, you were never a teenager. You were born a curmudgeon. I was born. And a you had full teacher was... consent. <laughs> consent is important. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's 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 a cinematic curiosity, and I can't mm. actually recommend it because I think it would upset people. If you took it, you showed you see your kids, they'd probably get pissed. <laughs> I'd be interested in like Julian. I'd be interested in the young young folks think of it. The younger Smiths. Oh, I think they'd tear it to shreds, um, based on the fact that it had no, nice segue, by the way. And can I compliment you on your segues? Like you are so polished on the segue front that there's no carpet to polish that particular segue shape turned into anymore. It's just a polished concrete. Like, magic, man. Smooth I can only give it. The East German judge is going to give that one a 6.2, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, my kids would decimate that for its lack of relevance. Firstly, I reckon it might make uh, to give explanation to the 1.3 of us tuning in. Um, my kids, uh, what are my kids? My kids are kids. Uh, 20, 13, 13, and 11. And the 20 year old would go, dick joke. Yeah. And the others would go, I'm walking away. This is boring crap. <laughs> and it means nothing to me. <laughs> but that's partially so, uh, more than uh, anybody else their age. That needs to be a disclaimer. Mm. I'd just like to say that the feedback coming through George's... Are you on your phone, George? Yeah. The, the, feedback, <laughs> coming George's, the feedback coming through George's phone at the moment sounds like the, uh, the droid on the on Hoth in, in The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> that was the best moment of the podcast, by the way. Just, uh, I just, I just, second, did, I just did then. And by the way, I have now figured out, according to, it's called a Viper Probe Droid. So Google, thank you. Um, thank you, Mr. Did, um, while, we, while we've got you around for a little bit longer, while you power, by the way, I'm, I'm seeing stuff on my Facebook now powers out across the city. So it's not just you. Um, I'm about yeah, to yeah, yeah, battery I'm power, in, too. I am in Melbourne. Parts of Melbourne, I'm saying. It's people in Seaford have no power. Um, you can call that Melbourne. I mean, nothing personal. Really. <laughs> <laughs> they only just got the internet. It's fine. Yeah, but they've got all the wind, except for the bit King Lake's got. So yeah. that's okay. <laughs> um, you know, they've got um, dial-up down there, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, down there. George is on 28.8 board modem. Um, you know, he's... <laughs> anyway, I... 
I smeared your segue. Go, go. Um, but uh, I think you had something else. Did you have something else to talk about tonight while we still got you, George? Uh, yeah, I wanted to just quickly talk about the new Netflix show, Sweet Tooth, um, produced by Robert Downey Jr. and his wife, Susan Downey. Um, it is the it is adapted from a DC Comics, a very well-regarded <laughs> DC Comics series about a post-apocalyptic world where there are hybrid kids born with animal elements. The primary um, uh, protagonist of the show is a young boy called Gus, who has got deer ears and horns um he's got the reflective eyes of deer he's um there's little attributes of him but there are lots but at the same time whilst this miracle has happened of these hybrid babies suddenly being born there is um poignantly a terrible strain of the flu that ravages the world and kills many 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 people so <laughs> <laughs> sorry that was the <laughs> Do you need a moment, Julian? <laughs> but um, what's interesting about this, particularly in the first episode, is it does... In the meantime, Karl Marx has offered to sell us some followers, which is interesting. But anyway, sorry to interrupt you. I just sort of thought, you know, Karl um, Marx is seizing the means of production over here. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Unbelievable. Don't you know we're professionals here? Um, Nothing. Yeah. So the first episode, it's kind of weird watching it now that we live in a mid-slash-semi-post-pandemic world. And the the depiction of the apocalypse, this, this pandemic that ev eviscerates the world... It's kind of crazy and it's over-exaggerated to a point where it's like, okay, it's a pandemic that's happened and people have immediately kind of gone into looting and all of that sort of stuff. And it, it's it's weird looking at it through the lens of COVID now because it's like, okay, well, I don't see anyone hoarding toilet paper and the the the, the way the military are kind of rounding people up and all of that stuff is like, it's it's hyper accentuated variations of some of the shit that we've seen in, in various parts of the world. So it's oddly juxtapositioned with modern sensibilities, but this is a comic book series that was, has been released for many years at this point, And a sequel series is in production. Um, the story itself is quite your typical um, kind of post-apocalyptic journey to uh, to uh, heroism um, but it's told on a very personal state I don't want to go into it too much because I don't really want to spoil anything because it actually is very well paced and um, I'm going to bring up the cast hang on um, sweet tooth um, because it has uh, the narrator is James Brolin who's possibly the biggest name in it aside from the one uh, I've heard of you, well, you'd, you'd know Adil wow. Akhtar. Um, he plays um, Dr. Singh. He was also in, he was Wadge. Uh, no, not Wadge. He was Vestige <laughs> in Four Lions. Oh, gosh, you're going back a very, very long. It's 11 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, the other other two people that you'll know from TV shows more than anything is uh, Dania Ramirez, who she was, uh, wow. she played the character Maya in Heroes season two, I think it was. And uh, Nonso Anozi, 
he was um, in uh, uh, Game of Thrones. He was the the apparently really rich guy who tried to woo um, what's her face, uh, the, the mother of dragons. I can't remember her name anymore. Khaleesi. Uh, yes, that's the one. I, what do um, I know about? I've never even watched a show. I don't know. But um, I've always found him to be miscast <laughs> in everything. You know things. Just- um but i've always found him to be kind of wrongly cast like he was cast as the character butler in disney's woeful artemis fowl but in this he's actually really good he's he plays um an ex um linebacker that has sort of like had to just do what he needs to do to survive in this post-apocalyptic world and he's actually pretty good at it he's pretty good at being a bit of an asshole so he actually really shines quite nicely. But the star of the show is um, Gus, our deer-horned um, protagonist called Christian Convy. And he's been in a few things. Like he was um, an eight-year-old boy in Venom, but nothing. This is certainly his big um, show. And he's actually really surprisingly good. It's For, for young actors, he, it's always that, Ooh, is he going to end up being like young Anakin Skywalker or is he actually going to be any good? And um, this kid's good. They don't put him in too much, kind of like what they did with Gal Gadot for the first Wonder Woman. Of Okay, this is your play area. This is your safe space. Just be in that bubble. They don't really go too far beyond his capacities, but it is a highly enjoyable show. It has got great production value. I do recommend it. Um, the whole season um, is available on Netflix. They've just dumped the whole thing. I heartily recommend this, especially following the general failure that was Jupiter Legacy. Which has now been axed. Yeah. Oh, it's it's been mutated to something else in the Mark Millerverse. Axed. Um... <laughs> There's no way around it. Brutal. Um... It's been what we in the corporate world called right-sized. And that right size is zero. Um, um, it, it's got an 8.3 on IMDb, Sweet Tooth. Yeah. Oh, the other the other name you probably know is Will Forte. Oh, of course. I do know yeah. that name. Yeah. Um, is this for children? Uh, no. No. <laughs> this is not. Really it, <laughs> it's... It's it's much more mature. It's it's a um, borderline <laughs> young adult, but the themes and the the depictions of stuff are probably. I would say if you're under the age of fifteen, you might get a little unnerved by it, or you might not fully understand the the, the narratives that they're kind of playing with for some of it. Um, it's not overly violent or particularly bad language and certainly no sex in it or anything like that so content wise it would be fine for it for young kids but just the themes that it deals with could be quite confronting for younger kids i guess more like um sort of like you talked about raya in the last dragon before that was very much aimed at kids so this is quite yeah. a, very much not in that category you know while they could watch it absolutely it's right. not just for children yeah absolutely right and Huh? So rated four and up. <laughs> you believe in growing your kids up quickly. 
Whatever push comes to shove is necessary, then so be it. <laughs> They're going to learn it sometime. They're like a Spartans. They leave him out in a craggy rock somewhere out near Donald, and if they survive, and good for them. This is Spartan. This And sounding like a 95-year-old. That, that is an interesting one. It, it, it's, it's, um, it, uh, it's, yeah, I saw that on Netflix, so it looks stupid. Um, uh, but uh, we, we even, that said, we have, we have a bad record of that because, like, George described for weeks a show to be called about uh, brain slugs infecting people and making them change their personality. And I thought it was the, the dumbest idea for a TV show I've ever heard in my entire life, yet it was fucking brilliant when I got brain around dead. to watching it. Brain dead was so, so good. So, um, okay. kudos to George. Sometimes the poster looks stupid and the, the plot looks stupid, but it can still be pretty good. Yes. Just want to highlight this just in, kudos to George. <laughs> I get one a year. <laughs> From the talent to you, because you're it's, it's, it's in his contract. <laughs> now, my battery is about to die. <laughs> yeah, I think we should probably, I think we should wrap it up because I think we've gone further than we thought we would there when your power yeah. went out and your battery might die. <laughs> so thank you for your for joining us and helping us over the line there, Jules. You're going to be on board of us next week to talk about hopefully a fully powered uh, conversation around yeah. firework with me. Um, so I haven't seen it. Before. I haven't seen it before. I don't think George has seen it before. No. Um, you addressed me as George just a second ago, so I was waiting for him to respond. No, he said, he said Jules. He said I said Jules. That's not what I heard. But anyway, yes, continue. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll go to the tape. We'll go to the tape. Um, uh, but we, we'll be back next week. You'll be back with us. There's a sneak preview this week. We'll be back with us next week to talk about Firewalk Me when the power's back on. Um, a and intentional, uh, yeah, preview, sneak preview of the thing that we haven't decided you know, is happening next week that is definitely now happening. Um, <laughs> It's happening. I didn't wear a shirt for nothing. But it's it's going to be a, an interesting... You've done worse uh, or less. You do again. Don't deny it. <laughs> okay. We, we, it's we, we wouldn't talk about that. Week. We're gonna it's going to have a on the ends. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> We've got, got a lot of originals. Like um, a chain movie of the week is Hamlet, which uh, neither me nor Travis have seen. We are all watching Firewalk with me, which um, uh, I think Julian is the only one who has seen it. Um, we're times. probably going to have some um, early thoughts on Disney Plus new Marvel show uh, Loki. So there's a there's a lot of new stuff that we're going to be talking about. New mixed with old, I guess, because yeah, I mean, one I mean, of those I mean, is current. If, if I have time, I've, I mean, we've been watching uh, the 1944 film Fight Gaslight just because I like to keep it fresh. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And I was looking for tips. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, thank you for um, thank you for uh, tolerating us, live audience. If you if any of this makes it into the uh, if this is makes it into the final podcast version, the sound's going to suck for from about the hour mark. Uh, we're sorry, ladies and gentlemen. That is indication that Travis has never actually re-listened to one of our podcasts because there's this little <laughs> thing that I do called no oh. editing. <laughs> hey, Trav, kudos. <laughs> I mean, I, I have better things to do with my time. John Hughes films. Um, uh, enough with the well tough said. questions, Julian. <laughs> I'm um, the Nicole Chivastek of Twitch. Yeah. Yana Vent, I think. Of, uh, no, no, Yana um, Vent. She's already gone. Um, but thank On you for tolerating note, us. Gentlemen. 
Good night. Thank you very much and good night. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. We are a weekly podcast every Wednesday at 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And if you'd like to follow along live, please go to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain, where you can actually also donate to us, as well as watching us live on youtube.com slash friedbrainproductions or facebook.com slash friedbrainproductions. Thank you, and see you next time. Bye-bye.